Hello, welcome to Spotlight, beaming out artistic love and creativity over the island. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. This evening, a new Manx Youth Bard is appointed. The second part of our chat with Brighton-based Manx poet Simon Madrill to coincide with his new poetry pamphlet, Isle of Sin, out at the end of the month. And the 150th edition to Culture Vannon's wonderful Oral History Archive. Remember, do get in touch with any creative artistic endeavours you may be involved in, planning, hoping to create, or would really like to put in that spotlight. That's this programme, by the way. Poetic, visual, theatrical, musical, ceramics, literary, etc., etc. Email me spotlight at maxradio.com or howardkane at maxradio.com and do do it. The programme is there for you. Well, the Isle of Man has a new Manx youth bard. 15-year-old Balakameen High School student Hadassah Smith beat off stiff competition this year from fellow students at Balakameen High School by wowing the judges with her poetry. Ellen Vannon... Puddles, and my plum is calling me. Hadassah was then suitably berobed, if that's the correct word, by the outgoing 2022 Manx youth bard Eva Petrova, whose poetry we've heard pretty much every month over the last year here on Spotlight. She was also handed, that is Hadassah, the new bard, a handsome stipend to cover any future outreach work. Phil Gorn was there to speak to Hadassah right after she was crowned the new Manx Youth Bard. Hadassah Smith, the, the fifth Manx Youth Bard. How does that feel? I mean, it feels really amazing. I mean, I hope to encourage other people to go for the position next year and even so just um, encourage them to do poetry altogether. And it was, uh, the judges said, a really close uh, vote uh, in, in terms of, of, of getting this award um, so that must make it feel all the more special because uh, there was such good competition wasn't there? Yeah there was I mean um, the runner-up Sophie she was really good as well and I wish her all the best for next year. Have you got any ideas at this stage what you would hope to be doing as as the Manx Youth Bard? Well like I said just to encourage people um, go to any events that and just um, inspire people with my poetry. Well, you've got uh, a poem here that you read out um, uh, as part of your sort of uh, unveiling as the uh, the fifth Manx Youth Bard. Uh, would you mind reading that for us now? Yeah, sure. I look upon the rolling hills of green beauty. The breeze rides through my hair and I feel a sense of home. This is my Ellen Vannon. The great big wheel of red that sits upon the minds of old as it gazes majestically over the valley of Laxey. The sweeping shores of the point of air alive with the hypnotic rhythm of the tide as it sweeps over the tumbling rocks mesmerises me as I gaze at the horizon. The lush green valley of Tinwald beholds me for my mind is of a meadow filled with such rich colours. The crackle of the stars in the sky burns my eyes as they shine like diamonds in the rough with the shores reflecting their youthful beauty in the dark skies of Craigneesh. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, what, what, what do you think inspires you most? I mean, obviously, you, you're relatively new to writing poetry, but what, what, what are the things that inspire you? 
I suppose it's everything, really. I mean, like, once I just have something on my heart, I just have to write it down, and it all just comes and it flows. And how long have you actually been writing poems? Uh, about a year now. How have you found the sort of development of, of, of writing? I mean, obviously, writing the first poem is, is probably the hardest thing to do, but uh, once you get past that, um, has it been easier? Yes, it does get easier after the first one, and I suppose reading them out um, it do- is quite difficult, but it does help you with your language so much, and I suppose it it really inspires others and like I s- um, and yourself in a way. And of course, that's the other aspect of being the the, the fifth Manx Youth Bard. You do actually have to perform uh, in in front of audiences. Is that something that you're familiar with? Yes, um, I've done lots of speaking in front of crowds, um, but I'm hoping that I can get better at it being the Manx Youth Bard now. Well, again, congratulations. I think it's, uh, you, well, the, the poems that you've written uh, that were part of the competition were absolutely fantastic, so well done. Thank you. And organisers say it was another year of overwhelmingly top-class entries into the Manx Youth Bard competition, mostly from Balakamine High School students, that's where the poetry is, apparently, of which gave the final three overalls, included Sophie Hinson, also aged 13, from Balakamine, with her poems Life of Ink, Trapped and Gone Without Trace, and 11-year-old Balakamine student Elizabeth May Howard, with Elizabeth giving poems called Roses Are Red, Ethereal and Trying to Breathe. The event sponsored, of course, by Culture Van and supported by the Alabama Arts Council and our friends at ShopRite. It was also attended by the Lieutenant Governor, his Excellency Sir John Lorimer. Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. We'll stick with poetry for a few more minutes. We heard from the self-proclaimed queer Manx poet Simon Madrill last week on the launch of his new collection of work Isle of Sin, which, amongst other themes, pays tribute to the life and work of Manx actor Dursley McClendon. Uh, during our chat, I asked Simon about his inspiration and aspirations for his work and with issues of sex education with particular reference to sexual identity, very much back in the news here on the island, and at times creating some very black and white opinions. I asked Simon for his views on why the issue still leads to so much bigotry and hatred. All of the research talks about um, fear being the base of the base of everything, you know, and there's there's um and that can be that can be a, a fear of the unknown. It can equally be a fear that's driven from a recognition of those feelings within oneself in history some of the most some of the most bigoted bigoted avid um homophobes have been gay themselves and unable to deal with those with those feelings instead of diverting them into themselves and perhaps being driven to take their own lives they they transfer all of that energy and hatred onto other people and of course religion has a lot to answer for as well you know the people who pick and choose um, who, who who ignore Jesus's view that the old commandment should be ignored? They ignore the fact that trimming your your forelocks and your your sideburns and wearing one one type of more than one type of fabric is forbidden by the Lord. They forget that selling your wife into slavery is acceptable, and they pick up on men lying with men as the one thing that they that that, that they should. Um, pick upon in order to and for me that's just an excuse for their own inner inner hatred and fear just finally we're saying that that the medium poetry 
is it a good way, do you think, to get across some of these messages, maybe to connect with other people as well, whether it's about the island's uh, queer history, it's, its dark past, its movement forward, whether it's talking about specific people like we mentioned Dursley there or Alan Shea as well. Is this a good medium, do you think, to actually try and engage with other people, whether they're in the gay community, the LGBTQ community or not? Um, well, I would hope so. I mean, one of the challenges, particularly when writing about history, is allowing the poetry to to show rather than tell and to paint a picture that that elicits emotions in people and, and encourages people to think more deeply about a subject. And, you know, that's what I'm attempting to do, however difficult that may be, in the writing I I do, because too much in the... Too much in the world, of course, is is um, very binary, one-way prose writing that's preaching to the converted and read by the converted. And I would hope that I would hope that both in schools and people would would sit and listen to listen to or read these poems and 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 have a feeling of what it's like to live as a, someone different than themselves or indeed be encouraged when they can see themselves within within the poems and um, and perhaps have more hope than they had before. It's strange, isn't it? You're talking about binary and seeing things in black and white. I mean, we moved away from watching TV and films in black and white sort of 50, 60 years ago and yet so, so many of us seem to still want to, to watch life in black and white uh, 60 years on. It seems a little bit bizarre. Yeah, no, it? absolutely. We, we, we need to, yeah, it's um, embracing the unknown is a, thing and I think you know in many ways that's um that's the role of a the role of a poet and both in terms of writing and in terms of what they convey I mean so many of my poems in in the whole island you know I was triggered by an idea I was triggered by a a, a particular folklore story a particular tradition and and, the, and you know what what came from that was what came from it I wasn't I wasn't pre-designing a, a message they, they're explorations and they're hopefully explorations of of the island and subjects that that other people can share it is poetry we better have a poem i suppose um from the new pamphlet and we're talking about dursley i think you mentioned one which might be uh, a fitting uh, piece to have which is a poem in august yes and this is after um dylan thomas and federico garcia Lorca. Poem in, in August at 5pm. He lay still, dying, purple stains encircled by sisters and mothers, given and found, a darling lamb, daring to reach sheepdom but his wool is matted with sweat and sweaty frolics have seen their last May in his thirtieth year to heaven forgotten mornings beckon him for another dawn his natural born youthful guise turns to death's mask like a bull and the bullfighter's cape a la cinco de la tarde a boy brought the white sheet at five in the afternoon a bull bellowed through his forehead a dance floor of funerals at another place they call the actor's church where Punch and Judy fought below its portico thanks to a little magic 
The priest is only allowed to say a little prayer. One hundred follow the black hearse with black horses and Judy Dench's black leather waving him back to man. Floating on two hundred pints of lemonade, too late to splash a furred tongue and scarred throat. O oh, may his heart's truth still be sung, back home where the fearful on high hills stumble and tumble a spiked barrel down slew alien unknown numbers within. Always lovely to speak to Simon. His new pamphlet, Isle of Sin, stirring and unapologetic poems, as he says, that circle the queer history of the Isle of Man, celebrating the life of Dursley McClendon, exploring the darker years prior to the partial legalisation of sex between men as recently as 1992, and charting how far the Isle of Man has progressed in overcoming the sins prejudice possesses. You can get a hand-sewn limited edition copy, 9.99, a tenner to you, at Polari Press, and you can uh, go online and find that website, Polari Press, P-O-L-A-R-I. Now, poetry can be a form of oral history, I suppose, but Culture Vannon's been collecting oral history in its purest form, one person chatting to another for some time now, with some amazing stories and wonderful voices, and their 150th such oral history is a woman well known to many on the Isle of Man, with some incredible stories to tell. James Franklin from Culture Vannon told me more. 150 oral history recordings, all available online on the Culture Vannon website. And the great things about oral histories is that, of course, there's so many facts and figures and the like which you can find out in books, but you cannot find out in a book people's tellings of their stories. And, of course, these are the things which we will know from our own families or the older members of our communities and we might think of when we were young and we might think, oh, I wish we could listen to those people again. I wish they'd been recorded. And that's why we're doing the oral history for that. And in this particular case, it's uh, a lady who'd be well known to many, uh, certainly well known to me, going back to right to my, some of my youngest memories. And that's Norma Cal. Norma Cal, one of the kindest, most lovely people I've had the pleasure to have met. I didn't know her in, the, in my youth, but I kind of wish I did go to anarchist school because she was clearly such a wonderful person, and it was a real privilege to get this oral history interview with her. And I did know her. I must admit, I didn't go to Annika's school either, but I knew her, as I'm sure dozens of my generation would have done, through the choir she used to run, which was called uh, Fushigvari. And we were there for many a year singing with Fushigvari and doing concerts at Trinity Church. I don't know whether she speaks about those in any of the oral histories, but she has so many stories to tell. I've only had a chance to dip into a couple which are online. Uh, absolutely fascinating. They are. And I think it's um, she, of course, has a, a long has had a long life, a, lo a long wonderful life, but she also is such a wonderful, has such a wonderful memory and is such a wonderful storyteller. And so she begins with her earliest stories back of Douglas of the 1940s, where she's listening to the hurdy-gurdy man named Valerio walking around the streets playing music for money. And it's such a different world. And then she goes through her wonderful life story um, talking about founding or being the founding headmaster at Annika when it opened in 1976, um, even being involved in the naming of the school or where the light switches are in the building 
and talking of great love and care about all the children in the school. It's so inspiring. And then there are stories which he tells which are just amazing, jaw-dropping sorts of things which, yeah, really need to be listened to. to. Oh, absolutely. The, the one that, again, uh, I, I sort of had a scan through and two caught my eye, which are there. The, the first one was the one I think you're referencing there, which is, to my mind, ball lightning. She tells this incredible story in a very matter-of-fact way, just out for a drive with her aunt and, I think, or some of the family members. And suddenly this, quite literally, a ball of fire crosses the road in front of them. And she tells it in a totally matter-of-fact, oh, well, and... Then we went back, you know, we'd go past several times afterwards over the years, and they said, that's where the ball of fire was. And you think, goodness me, it, it's fascinating. And that I have heard of ball lightning. It's a very, very rare phenomenon, still hotly debated in scientific circles. Lots of fake stuff now or you can find on the web, but this is going back quite a few years and clearly was a genuine sighting of what, to my mind, could only be ball lightning. I had my mother and my aunt with me mm-hmm. in the car. Aunt, two aunts and my mother. I used to take them out of a of an early evening or something, or a Saturday, or a Sunday. I'd pop them in the car and take them for a drive. Went all over the island, as I had done as a child. So, we were at the crossroads, just outside Balasala. Cross Four Ways, yes, it's called. And um, we were driving along, and we'd only just gone through the crossroads, and all of a sudden we all screamed... Because a ball of fire came down. It was a round ball, flames, down the hedge, across the road, and up and over the next hedge. And we all screamed. How big was it? It was about that big. So bigger than a football, like a beach ball It was bigger than a football. It might... It wasn't as big as a a motorbike wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. It was pretty round, but it was flaming. Now, had I seen that and been alone in the car, I'd have put myself to Balamona. Mm-hmm. Or I'd have been worried or told the doctor. But there were, f- there were four of us in the car. And did you go and look over the hedge? Yes. I, I, drew, I pulled in very quickly. And I went and looked over the hedge. And there was nothing. How strange. How it took strange. me a while. Because it... It was quite a tall hedge. It had come over and twice a tall one. It went back over the other side. But four of us saw it. Mm -hmm. And when we ever went past there again, if I had one of these ants in, they'd say, wasn't it somewhere near here that ball of fire went across the road? Now, I can't explain it, Mm -hmm. but the four of us saw it and the four of us often talked about it. Absolutely amazing. When I heard this, my mouth dropped open. I didn't, I still don't know if it's, in a sense, I don't know if we know whether it's a science thing, whether it's accepted by science, or whether it's just one of these great unexplained. And it's wonderful that Norma can tell it in this way of, well, we don't know what it was, but we saw this ball of lightning come over the wall, go across the road in front of us, and disappear over the wall on the other side. Amazing. It is, and it's the fact that you know it's 100% true, because it was. <laughs> there's no way she would tell this story for any other reason than the fact it happened. Absolutely. And the one which I really like in there, which Norma tells, is a story which I admit to um, shedding a few tears at every time I listen to it. And it's a story of sweeping the crossroads. Um, Her mother was very seriously ill. 
and the family gathered around expecting to see her final days. This is when Norma was a teenager in the 1950s in Central Douglas. And the aunt um, had a little discussion with the mother and said, well, let's, you know, let's try it. And they sent Norma out to sweep the crossroads. And she returns with this dustpan um, full of dust. She'd been very embarrassed as a teenager to go out in Central Douglas to sweep the crossroads. But she then um, rubbed this dust into her mother's feet at her aunt's direction because they knew this from their own mother, how to do it. And sure enough, the next day, the mother's a little bit better. And the next day, she's a lot better. And the doctor comes around and says, just is open mouth, and says, what have you done? And they say, oh, sorry, but we swept the crossroads. And at that point, the doctor says, well, he says, I don't know what that's all about, but keep doing it. And sure enough, the mother recovers to live many, many more years after that. And this telling which Norma gives is just such an amazing story. And it's a real privilege to have captured this sort of thing. Many more stories there. We've just touched on a couple of really, well, ones that really caught our imagination, I guess. How do you actually go about collecting these oral histories then? Is, is it a, a sort of potluck? Do people come to you? Do you just go out or people think, oh gosh, they're an interesting character and let's go and have a chat with them? How does the process actually go go around? Because as you say, there's 150 of them. I dare say that there will be more to come in, in years to come. What is the process? Um, it's a good question. Um, we often meet people like Norma, who we think, goodness me, you're an amazing person. And then we will pursue them, as it were, and convince them to give us a recording. Other people come to us, or other people will come and say, oh, have you ever spoken to so-and-so? And we are um, we're keen, we are aware of the gaps which we have, of things we have or have not spoken or have recordings about. And so we're quite keen to speak to more women about their uh, stories because men are easier to talk and tell their own stories. I don't know what that says about men. Unusual. Mm, well, <laughs> and, uh, but the what we also need is, um, well, what we what's a key part of the oral history recording is having someone to do them. And over the past few years, we've had Katie Newton, and she did this interview of Norma Cowell, and she has the brilliant skills of being very personable and very intelligent and an intelligent listener. And it's worthwhile just crediting Katie for her excellent work there. And I take it, are, are they all available online? Or how do people, if we've whetted their appetite to hear more from Norma or any of the other 149 interviews, are they accessible? All of them are accessible on the Culture Bannon website. Our feeling is that these are not our stories, they should not be hidden away, they are very much the island stories and they should be shared. And if you want to hear stories about the Laxey Mine, or about Balabeg, or about farming on the Calf of Man, any of these sorts of stories about where you're from or your particular interests, you will find them on this website and we encourage you to go and dig a little deeper. Things which we might think now are, well, you know, it's not that amazing a story. It will be, and it is. And it's with the, I often away, a thing which we say to people is, well, you know, just think what people will think in 50 years' time, 100 years' time. And that's how we see this online archive of something which will be accessible and will be listened to tens, twenties, hundreds of years into the future. And that's quite exciting to think of um, the possibility of curating and collecting these voices for the future. Wonderful stuff. To the best of my knowledge, Norma's story is the only record of possible ball lightning ever occurring on the island. 
lots more wonderful stories from Norma and others, of course, 149 others to be exact, available via the Culture Vannon website, culturevannon.im. But I warn you, they're very addictive. Start on one, you can still be listening an hour later. That's about it for this week. Don't forget, if you want to hear anything again, go to manxradio.com, download the Spotlight podcast, listen where you want, or subscribe. It'll be sent to you automatically. Why not try listening to the podcast while sweeping snow and ice off your front path? See you next week when we'll hear about short films, Manx folk music, and who knows what else. Look after yourselves and whatever you're doing. Be creative about it. Cheerio. Cheerio.